by an Indian changeling spirit. <laughs> and it's so much worse than you ever thought it could get. <laughs> <Da-na-na-na>. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's where we're at, though, right? Like, we, we can confirm that the wife, like, is absolutely under a spell. Some type of spirit has... has uh, been trying to lure her mm-hmm. that's a fun word yes never stops being creepy like it's there's <laughs> no way to use the word lure that isn't creepy like it's just right it, it's even always fishing. yeah even fishing <laughs> creepy laying a trap um, creepy <laughs> how do you where do you stand on everything that's happening right now i'm like i'm not a hundred percent decided who the target of the imposter is. Right. I'm not I'm not sure if it's like targeting Faye and it's been targeting Faye for a long time. I'm not sure if it was targeting Faye and now it's switched to his name's Felix, I think. I'm not I think so. I'm not sure if it's like it, it's like a buy one, get one thing where it started that's, with Faye. That's kind of how I'm <laughs> like, if they were to introduce any like late act twist, I can only assume that it was like, oh, well, we just wanted the girl at first, but you've been pissing us off. So we'll take you now, too. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> two for the so price it was, of one. You're here and there are tons of spirits, you know, still trapped in the mines. So if you're uh, if you're available, you know, we'll, we'll make an appointment. <laughs> Yeah, you know. Not that it's, like, an appointment. Like, you don't have a choice, but, you know. Come on down <laughs> to the haunted cabin in mines. Get yourself possessed. Buy one, Come get down. one free special. <laughs> Come down to the haunted mines at, what did it, What was it, 5 a.m. on Monday night for an ass-kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Here in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> no, it's, uh, Pike's uh, Peak. Yeah, Pike's I, Peak. I also... Um, I'm also wondering, like, we're both definitely, like, okay, things have already gotten so crazy, and, like, we're only a third of the way through. Right. So, as they move on, I'm, I am wondering if, I'm wondering if they're going to kind of, like, let us in a little bit more on what this thing could possibly want with this couple. Because, like, I know that part of the fear is, you know, the nice uh, exposition uh, folklore dude telling him that no one knows what it wants, and I know that's like Native scary. American comes in and describes Native American things. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I and like you know, I know that's part of the terror or whatever, but I definitely hope we get a little bit more about that. I hope so. At what least. if? What if this thing has a personality? You know, like right now it's been trying to. 
trick and mimic and kind of play puppet and and take the place of someone but Mm -hmm. after his kind of uh mad ramblings to get it to fuck off at the end of part one Mm -hmm. um it's 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 weird to expect how a story like this can progress because you have to have some kind of natural evolution like i imagine one of two things is going to happen in this part if we're getting into predictor mode one of two things is going to happen phase case is going to worsen yes or the perpetrator or perpetrators are going to get smarter Mm. and and both of those things can happen but like i said last time this is kind of we we are now in rising action territory like Mm -hmm. this is uh, context is is good we're done like we are now in the story and i'd like to think we're not gonna waste any time just randomly musing on shit like i think now is the time where the plot amps up now is the time where we figure out what's going on with the good guys and the bad guys like this this is the stereotype of how things work i i want to be surprised i'm hoping it it kind of plays around with the three act structure a little bit i also don't know if this is going to have a happy ending me too that's that's another uh, thing i've been sitting on it's like i don't know uh, if this is going to end good for them i high key think that it will not like just you know the way i feel like and even just with the way felix was talking about all the mistakes he made at the very beginning like i'm kind of in the it's too late man camp like it's it's already done like you you guys are over like (laughs) whatever over means is a whole other story but i'm i'm definitely this story is so well done that i don't even know like I'm still having trust issues with whether or not that fae is actually that fae, or if it's yes. like a, a halfway fae, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it might not have been fae since she was five years old. That's another fun point. That's really great. Um, that's like a twist that they set up from the beginning, and we completely ignore until <laughs> it's like, fae never existed. It was always to get someone to come back to the cabin and you're you're a good specimen, so here you are. You know mm-hmm. that that would be that would be fun. Um mm-hmm. I've I've read a lot of no sleeps and creepy pastas lately that end a little happier than I expect. Like, mm. you know, I did a series with Where Am I where it was about uh, a war between angels and demons and just for no reason at all you know, the demon just gets killed at the end and, and the story just ends, you know. Um, we we, re, we covered the... The guy who did Baraska went back and rewrote, like, a sequel part four ten years later ending to Baraska. And mm-hmm. that one ended with all its little fucking bows in a knot and it pissed me off beyond recognition because the original ending to Baraska is... is terrifying and sad and no one is happy and it's just like you know uh when you think about the best stories we've read on this show i don't think many of them have happy endings and when things are wrapped up so neatly so tightly it 
it makes me think like uh, that's the Hollywood, that's the people pleaser. Yeah. You know? I, I want people to think, you know, Sp- Spire in the Woods, the most recent series we finished, um, just just to reiterate, I, I know I've talked about it on other uh, other episodes since it's finished, um, but you know this this kid essentially loses his shit because of like a ghost because of a haunting that's going on, mm-hmm. and at the end, it's not necessarily a happy ending. You know, it's yes, the kid survives, but he also institutionalizes himself. He commits himself. He gets on medication and he moves away. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's a compromise. It's a it's a way of getting. Uh, the best of both worlds. The haunt is still real. The haunt still happened. It is not over. It is not fixed. The ghosts still exist. It's just he's no longer near them, and he's on medication that dull their effect. Like, mm-hmm. Baraska is is textbook, let me go back and fix everything that made people upset about how the original story ended. And mm-hmm. we... We need something, I think, for this story that rides that line of Spire in the Woods, where maybe one of them survives, but it's a bait-and-switch situation. Um, if if they end up getting married, you know... <laughs> well, you know, but even that, like, that could lead to a whole, like, you know, epilogue kind of thing, where, like, they think they defeated the demon, and they get married, and everything's great, and then, like, you know, 15 years down the line, they have a kid, and the kid's head starts spinning or some bullshit like you know the kid wakes up in the middle of the night and starts dancing down the hallway and the dad just looks at the camera and he's like here we go again and then it goes boom boom, yeah exactly or alternatively i mean who knows maybe felix will just snap and kill her like yeah i mean i honestly i can't say i wouldn't (laughs) like there's only so much a man can take. Like, I can tell your boyfriend to run. <laughs> I'm going to text him later and be like, get out of the house. You're going to be like, listen, um, dude, I'm not saying that the, I'm not saying that she's crazy, but I'm also not saying you're safe. <laughs> so, so I mean that this, this is fun. What I, what I mean to say with all of our talk, with all of our discussion, this is fun. It's not answering all of our questions, which is uh, a fun, you know, it's, it's the, the classic horror move, you know, don't explain everything, leave some stuff up to the mystery of the unknown, but I'm just hoping the story, you know, the the waves of the story and how it's going to ebb and flow getting us to the finale. I really hope that it takes us for a ride. And and Me thus too. far it's been doing a good job, I think. X. I know I'm stoked for it. I'm like I'm very happy with the way things have progressed so far and I'm hoping that it's going to continue in this kind of a manner. I'm like it's great because I have enough questions where I want to keep reading and they've answered enough of my questions so that I'm not like like I don't feel unsatisfied. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like and that's, the perfect and that amount. is the point of a story. Yes, a good story. <laughs> a good story. That is the point of a good story. And I don't, I don't know if we ever got into it, but when I was giving you the options of what story to pick, was there any specific reason why this one stood out to you? Well, I'm a sap at heart. I love a good romance. And on top of that, I love a good romance gone wrong even right. more. 
And so, you know, and I also, when you said that this was going to be like a three-part story, I kind of knew that it was going to, it had to be, you know, wild. You know what I mean? Like, you can't have a no-sleep story that long and have it not be a wild fucking ride. It's got some girth. Exactly. And I knew that, and we all know that girth matters more than length. So, (laughs) (laughs) in that vein, (laughs) pun intended... Um, oh, when... fuck. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. You can kick me off the show now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Listen, the only other person who makes dick jokes on this show is Frowns McBoohoo, and he's gay as fuck. Well, it makes sense. I mean, <laughs> we're both in the community, so we're both going to make dick jokes. <laughs> there you have it, folks. It all makes sense. <laughs> But anyway, I figured that this was going to be like, because, you know, there is a classic element to the story of having a fiance, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a partner, um, a spouse, a whatever that is like suddenly possessed. Like there is, you know, I mean, we've got tons of movies about that bullshit. Um, I was going to say, isn't that isn't that a stereotype? The the mm -hmm. you marry the perfect woman, but she's not perfect. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. question mark uh, movie hilarity ensues exactly slash you know horror movie where it's like oh yes me and my wife are gonna go to hillbilly hell for no reason oh no <laughs> the hillbillies are hell <laughs> they've taken my wife and now she's impregnated by satan oh fuck <laughs> like that's <laughs> man I'd, I'd pay to see that movie uh, well, there's the last exorcism. Um, Atlas <laughs> two. Like, let right. me, I could go on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of was. I love that trope, and I was kind of like curious to see if this would be different. And so far, it is a little bit different than I was expecting. So right, it's a little bit more practical. Yes, exactly. And I, I what like. I like and I like that this guy is like like he's really fucking trying. You know what I mean? And he tried, like, once he knew there was something up, he tried to, like, fix it. You know what I mean? And he's tried so many different avenues. They tried medication. They went to the doctor. He's now talking to, like, you know, a healing. American, yeah, spirit, spirit talking. Exactly. He's getting into the lore. He's going back into the family history. Like, he's really, like, theoretically, he's doing everything right that he can so I yeah. think it's going to make it sadder when he eventually, like, combusts or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the dick is going to happen. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's a good starting point. Um, I don't remember who stopped last time, but I'm going to say uh, y- you go ahead and take it from here. Okay. Part nine. Update five two. I'm out of the cabin and safe. Do not go to Pike's Peak looking to be a hero, looking to find the mines, or looking for me. You will die. Avalanches, radon gas, mine collapses, etc. Do not be a fool. Edit. I took down the photo of Faye because someone started sending me creepy messages about it. I should have known better. You absolutely should have. It's just like a man. He's like, let me post a picture of my fiance on the fucking internet on a thread with thousands <laughs> of people and just You might as well just tag roast me. Honestly, it's like, why don't you just put your home address there too so people can start sending her dick pics in the mail? Like, I'm care. I'm... Sigh. Anyway. (laughs) If you don't want to read all the prior stories, simply read the summary at the top of this post. If you want to read from the very beginning, start here. Someone gilded another one on my post. Thank you very much, stranger. 
There are so many new developments, it's hard to figure out how to cram it all into a 3,000-word no-sleep post. The morning after I spoke with my fiancé, Faye, on the satellite phone, and then was visited by the thing that mimics our voices, I got a call from Richard and Jason. In case you don't remember, they are my two best friends, and they're staying at my place and taking care of Faye while I'm gone. They're the only people I trust. Richard stays up very late and sleeps in the morning, kind of like what I'm doing now. He does this for two reasons, to work on his art commissions and to make sure Faye doesn't stab everyone to death and burn the house down in her sleep. The guys report that she is behaving quite normally and feeling good, being productive during the day, but then at night, she's unpredictable and weird. I feel like her soul is being cleaved in half. The two distinct sets of behavior are drifting farther from each other every day. Around 1am that night, Richard heard the voice of a young child mumbling incoherently. He's up to speed on all of the unusual experiences that have plagued my fiancé and me, so he immediately got up to investigate. He looked out the window, which faces the same part of the forest where I saw the man mimicking Faye's sleepwalking movements. Richard didn't find anything, so he walked a circle around the house and realized that the sound was coming from our bedroom window. No. He went inside and woke... Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm. T- you, listen, I know it's easy to say uh, from an outside perspective, and it's a lot more nuanced than this, but throw the fiancé away. <laughs> Just toss her in a landfill. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> he went in, blocked, and reported. Oh. He went inside and woke Jason up, and they stood outside the bedroom door, listening. They claimed to have heard the distinct sounds of a child whispering and softly singing, and I bet you can guess which song. Oh, so me I do, I'm naked, so me I do. The song Faye and I heard outside of the cabin on our second night, sung in a child's voice. Both of these dudes are super ripped climbing enthusiasts, and they said they had never been so creeped out in their entire lives. <laughs> Jason knocked on the door and said, Faye, who's in there? And he promptly heard the child go, shh, and whisper something inaudible. Richard pushed the door open and said that Faye was standing in the corner of the room in the dark facing the wall. She was standing up on her toes, dragging her hands and nails down the wall and talking to herself. With her back turned to the guys, she said, Oh... Their skin is so perfect. Which one, which one put him down in the hole? Richard saw something out the window and hurried over to it. Jason stepped inside the room and reached out to put a hand on Faye's shoulder, but she whirled around and quickly covered her face with her hands. Her eyes were open, which is unusual for her when she sleepwalks. And then these are the exact words Jason used. She started speaking in the voice of a little kid. She made whining and crying sounds and rocked back and forth on her feet, cradled her arms as though she held a child, and then she turned around and started scratching at the wall again, still whispering in the kid's voice, saying things like, It's Faye. I can't see you. Are you up in the tree or down in the hole? And then she started singing again. Richard ran down the baby one more time. (laughs) Oh, baby, baby, how was I supposed to know? That's exactly what happened. I'm sure that's what they mean. Yeah, it's what she was saying. It's like it's like the entire time they're just like, and then she started doing kid speak, and for like the life of me, I'm like, you know, like uh, when I make macaroni and cheese, I like to like cook a hot dog and like cut it up into like little bits and like throw it into the mac and cheese so that (laughs) when I'm eating the mac and cheese, and sometimes I get some hot dog bits and it's like a neat little surprise, and I'm like, oh, it's a hot dog. 
I was honestly though, like kids can be really unintentionally creepy. I like, know. I love. It's just I they're love, all so stupid. <laughs> listen, I love kids. I I hate babies, but once they can walk, like I'm down. I love kids, but right. they they just. They're just, they can be so fucking creepy. I love seeing, like, posts from parents talking about, like, hearing a noise and sitting up and seeing, like, a demon child in the hallway and wanting to drop kick it and then remembering they're a parent and their kid just wants some fucking water. (laughs) You need to listen to all of Scutch McGee's episodes because those are the stories he tells about his kids. Yeah, exactly. I will say that again to everyone. Go to the Scutch McGee playlist on SoundCloud or on YouTube. I have playlists for everyone on both of those sources. Listen to all of Scutch McGee's episodes. He tells the funniest stories about, like, his kids talking to no one, what they do to him in the middle of the night, how much he has to hold back from just fucking murdering them sometimes. Like, (laughs) unintentionally, unintentionally murdering them. Like, he was was in the Navy, I think. And... uh, and, and when you are woken up at three o'clock in the morning with another face in your face, the first thing you want to do is launch that face across the room. But it turns out to be your two-year-old child, so you shouldn't do that. Yeah, you probably should not violently toss your kid out a window. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, they're little oh. weirdos. Like, we can't help yeah. it. Yeah. <sighs> Richard ran down the stairs and out the front door, barreling toward the tree line. From the window, he had seen a small child walking around on its tippy toes, flailing its arms up in the air. On the phone, he told me he could hear it singing while he watched it from the window. When Richard got about 20 yards away from the kid, it took off running on the balls of its feet, heading straight into the trees. Richard stayed in pursuit and went in after it. It was too dark for him to follow, and he lost the kid after a few moments. Finally, someone with some balls. Yeah, really. He was like, fuck this kid. (laughs) Like, he was like... I'm gonna get you. He wandered around for a few minutes searching the area and eventually heard the voice of an adult male see and this is why you shouldn't do that exactly (laughs) rich says he walked a few steps deeper into the grove and saw a huge man standing about 30 feet away completely naked looking up into the trees there were lacerations or dark pock marks of some sort all over his body now richard is about 6'1 210 pounds and very bulky he said this dude was way bigger than him He said the man was perfectly still for several seconds, but then started rolling his head around, cracking his neck loudly, and started making gurgling and mumbling noises. I guess Rich was paralyzed with fear because he claims he stood there for an entire minute or more before running like hell back to the house. As he turned to get out of there, the man let out a long, Hello? And as he did, his voice transformed. It became my voice. Richard said that the thing in the woods called out with my voice several times as he fled, wailing, please help me. And they're going to kill me tonight. Oh, shit. Jason says that he did not hear or see anything out the window, only Richard running back inside, ghost white with terror. He said that Richard actually cried. While they were talking in the living room, Faye sat at the top of the stairs, just watching, wide awake, with a little smile on her face. Oh, great. The next morning, they took her to her psychiatric appointment, the first she's ever had, and I will hopefully hear back on that soon. It kills me that I'm not there with her now. I'm still stuck at Pike's Peak. It's like this place doesn't want me to leave. 
the ranger stations shut down the entire road network on the mountain because of the huge blizzard that rolled in and their avalanche warnings. My road out here is completely iced over and one part of it has a snow collapse mini avalanche. Shut up, I'm from California where God pays attention. <laughs> I'm in contact with the ranger. His name is Greg, just like Faye's dad, so that's why I avoid referring to him by name in these updates. And he assures me that they're working on getting the roads cleared every time it stops snowing. I missed my flight, but thankfully they gave me a voucher, so now I can just roll into the airport whenever I can. I don't think it works like that, but okay. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it does and it doesn't. <laughs> two, two travel agents read a story. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have enough food to feed an army, and the electricity here is surprisingly reliable, so I'm warm. The Wi-Fi dips out for 5-10 to ten hours at a time, though. I'm working on Donkey Kong Country 2 and Secret of Mana on SNES and writing uh, about my experiences here in my spare time. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I also slipped on the icy porch steps and fell on my side, so I've got an enormous bruise and it hurts like a bitch, but I only breathe only when I breathe in, so I've got that going for me. User Sweet Rosemary asked me if the cabin had a basement, and I had never thought to check. Of course you didn't. <laughs> Outside, under the snowpack, and halfway covered with old chopped wood, I found a little locked door. The key was in the kitchen cupboard, and it turns out there's a decent-sized cellar under the house. Down inside, I found a ton of creepy shit. Of course you did. <laughs> there is a bundle of long, black hair several dozen jars of some rotten mutant looking shit and tons of old books from the 60s and 70s and a lot of porno magazines there are also lots of sticks and yarn all of the material necessary to make a dream catcher like the one hanging at the tree line behind the cabin i didn't touch anything i just noped straight out of there I've been thinking about something that user wait time is lame said to me the other day, which was, have you considered that it's not a dream catcher at all? And he's right. I'm not an expert on Native American symbology artifacts. It just looks kind of like a dream catcher to me, so I've been calling it one all this time. To way, the Pueblo friend of the ranger didn't call it that. He just said to leave it alone. I'm wondering if that thing attracts the imposter instead of keeping it away. It could mark the house. I kind of want to move it for one night to see what happens. After all, Tuway blessed the entire cabin, so I feel quite safe. And I have a 357 Magnum in case leaves don't protect me. But he also said, don't touch it! Yeah, I was about to say, that is, like, uh, such a terrible idea. Indian under- man, much older and wiser, says, do not touch that thing. And then who, he goes, I'm gonna touch that thing. Who understands better than literally anyone on the planet his own fucking culture and did you a favor by helping you with this because he probably should have just left you to die because we have never done them any favors. (laughs) So like, (laughs) and you touch it. It's like uh, the the narrator's staring at the thing talking, and like he's talking over T-Way, who's just like, you know, uh, we could bless the house as much as possible, but if you take that thing down, it's just gonna negate any effect and probably fucking murder you, but of course you're not listening to me right now, so. So yeah, do it. Touch it all you want. Do a tap dance on it. Stick your head in it. Wear it like a dress. I don't care. Jump through it like a hula hoop. Yeah, jump through it. Fucking play hopscotch in it. Use it as a ring toss. (laughs) Target practice with your 357 The changeling comes walking up in the middle of the night and he hula hoops it with the dream catcher. He's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's 10 points. Woo. 
At about 9.30 a.m., there was a knock on the door. I grabbed guns, expecting another encounter with the imposter. It was slightly snowing and gloomy, so I figured the sun was blocked enough that the creature would be willing to come out of the woods. But then I hear familiar voices talking cheerfully. I looked out the window, and to my total surprise, it was Tway and his son Nathan. These badass motherfuckers had hiked up from the ranger station in the snow to check on me. You don't deserve them. No. <laughs> I let them in, and they made me tea. I cannot tell you how happy I was to see them. Tway brought his own dream catcher. It was one he had made specifically for me, and he told me I should hang it beside the creepy one. It's very colorful and ornate, and I could tell he spent a lot of time on it. It's even got two beautiful hawk feathers dangling off of it, which Nathan says represent freedom and unboundedness. He reiterated the importance of finding the engagement ring Faye had lost and blessed the house again. I tried to get them to stay longer, but they had to get back down the mountain before the storm picked up and told me I should come with them. We all knew I wouldn't. If I left with them, I'd be leaving Greg's truck, and I'd never have found what I came back for. I said goodbye, and Tuay hugged me. I wish that guy was my grandpa. Man, me too. (laughs) Feels. I took a nap after they left. I figured out how to sleep without being interrupted by the goddamn voices in the forest. From 6 a.m. to 3 p.m., it's pretty quiet outside, so I nap on and off. But something really bad happened this time. I woke up opening the bathroom window. I've never sleepwalked before in my entire life. Faye's been sleeping next to me for five years, and she says I don't move, I don't speak, I don't snore, I don't steal sheets. I'm the most polite bed buddy on the earth. But when I came to, I was standing next to the toilet, both hands prying the frozen window open. It was about two inches up, and the freezing cold wind on my fingers is what woke me up. I slammed it shut and checked all the windows, ensuring that they were locked and sealed tight, and then went back to bed. I dragged one of the living room chairs into the bedroom with me and propped it up against the door so that I'd knock it over if I got up again. This did not work. Around 1pm, I woke up standing in the front door and found myself pulling it open. The loud groans it issued were what snapped me out of my stupor. I slammed the door shut and looked out the window next to it, praying nothing was out there waiting for me at the tree line. I saw nothing. Then I remembered that I'd had a dream. Images of a huge hole carved into the mountain surfaced in my mind. Snow and branches were caked around the mouth of the entrance, and an impossible yawning blackness emanated from within. In the dream, I just kind of stood there, gazing into the vacant face of the deep, listening to Faye's weakened cries. I sat down on the couch and just sort of cried for about a half an hour. I thought about what our lives had become and how bad I missed her. I thought about all these dreams we have of our future, the things that can never be if I don't figure out how to save her. I thought about all the promises I'll never keep if I die up here. I decided it would be best to hang the Dreamcatcher sooner rather than later because the clouds broke for a while and it was fantastically bright out. I got geared up and trudged across the snow with Tuay's gift and hung it on a branch about three feet away from the evil-looking one. And that's when I saw it. Faye's engagement ring. It was dangling right there in front of me, as if to tease me. Someone had woven it into the strings of the Dreamcatcher. Oh, man. That's fucked up. (laughs) That's fucked up, man. Also, this thing clearly doesn't give a fuck about that other dream catcher, so there's also that. I would refuse to touch it with my own hands. I would almost, like... Pry it out with a stick. (laughs) Yeah, like, get implements to, like, break it off without, without ruining the dream catcher at all, I hope. That's the hard part, though. It sounds like it's woven in there, so it's, like, the only way to do it is to destroy it. Fuck. I stood there for a long time, right between the two objects. I couldn't figure out if some benevolent force was giving me a break, doubtful, 
or if I was being taunted by whatever beings have haunted my footsteps ever since I arrived on the mountain. Much more, more likely. likely. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Retrieving the ring would require me to not only touch, but destroy the creepy dream catcher. Fuck. I'd... <laughs> I had thought to go ask no sleep what I should do, but I feared that if I even left for one second, the ring would be gone when I got back. So I tried to solve the riddle by myself. How I wish I'd brought the satellite phone out there with me. After a few minutes of standing there, I reasoned that Tuwe's dream catcher would probably do just as well in protecting me, if in fact that was the function of the original one. I also figured that if it were cursed or something, touching it wouldn't actually be worse than leaving the ring there and allowing Faye to be completely consumed by madness. If the ring has anything to do with the creatures who are controlling Faye and me while we sleep, then getting it back is a priority over not touching weird stuff in the woods. So that's what I did. I broke the brittle thing apart and took my goddamn ring back. What else could I have done? And as if on cue, I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. It was a person standing in the snow beside a tree about 20 feet from my left side. I was so scared I didn't look directly at him. I just watched him in my periphery and prayed he hadn't noticed me. It was a man with black and gray hair and dark clothes facing away from me, as usual. His head was tilted all the way back and he was looking way up at the tops of the trees. His limbs looked mangled and bent and elongated even without looking right at him. I slid the ring into my pocket as slowly as I could, trying not to make a sound, and as I did, the man hobbled around and faced me. I really didn't want to look now, I just slammed my eyes shut. I knew he was looking at me, I could feel his gaze on me. He started gurgling and making throaty noises, and said in a voice so threatening I can't even begin to describe, Felix, I know you. Felix, I know you, Felix, I know you. (laughs) Over and over. I took off running and screaming like a bat out of hell. I screamed all the way back to the fucking cabin. I barricaded the front door with the couch and burned up half the sage I had left. I even prayed, like an actual prayer. I haven't done that since I was 15 years old. Did I scare um, you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who wants to know? <laughs> Everyone. Well, then maybe I don't know. My friend was my friend was really scared. <laughs> my silent friend who's sitting next to me and has nothing to say. <laughs> I'm really struggling to write this last part taking me hours to finish this entry because I keep getting up to distract myself. The ranger isn't answering his phone and nobody's at the station. Maybe the power is out. I don't know what I did by breaking that dream catcher and I don't know what tonight is going to be like, but hey, if you ever read this, if something happens to me, don't forget your tenderness, your softened skin, all I needed. Your love is my tourniquet. Smiley face. I have to say this even though I desperately want it not to be true. The man I just saw was Tue. Fuck! I am... Um, I'm not okay with that. That's gonna be a no from me, dog. Like... <laughs> if him breaking that thing did something to Tue, I'm gonna be very upset. Same. I'm gonna be pissed as shit. I'm like... Bro. 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 I wonder I wonder if the thing was maybe like not necessarily protect 
protecting the house, but maybe it was, like, diminishing the thing's powers, so now it's stronger. And it can, like, use other people's faces. My assumption, I like that. Almost like, uh, it's like a ward. Yeah, exactly. One broken by someone who's not you, it's like an amplifier. Yes. I'm thinking almost that it had an attachment to him to the, to the narrator and that when it breaks he breaks almost like a voodoo thing Ooh. and maybe maybe now they have more power over him specifically or now mm-hmm. that he touched it they have more power yeah, to, yeah, to do yeah. things to his head I don't know I don't know That's such a good idea I think we got two more parts to go. I think we're only doing three parts this time. Awesome. Take us away. I think. This one's part 10. Here is the interview I have been promising for so long. As you can see by its length, there is no possible way I could have uploaded it at the cabin and on the crappy Wi-Fi. Sorry about my allergies. Apparently there is a video. Um, I'm not going to click it because I don't care. No, thank you. Sorry that this is so long, but people have been hounding me for as much information as possible. This will be my last update. We need to rest. I mean, I know it's not his last update because there are 70 more pages to the story and uh, several more parts. Things have spiraled out of control up here on the mountain. I made a decision that changed everything, and it almost killed me. Only time will tell if it was the right choice to make. But for now, I'm just piecing everything together in my mind and trying to convince myself that I'm one step closer to solving all of this. I destroyed the dreamcatcher that had been dangling on the tree branch behind the cabin since Faye and I first came to this place. Nobody knows who made it, what its purpose is, or why it's on the side of the tree facing into the woods, rather than the side facing the house. I found all the supplies to make another one just like it, locked behind a cellar door that someone had tried to hide years ago. But when I broke the dreamcatcher, I learned everything I need to know. The next line. The next line, it hurts. (sighs) Tiway is dead. A lot of people have said otherwise, but I'm certain of this. I saw his likeness stretched over the gruesome form of the thing that stalks these woods. It was broad daylight, and the look on that, its mangle's face, told me exactly what I didn't want to accept. I really am all alone. Several Redditors have speculated that this thing only shows itself at night and always faces away from me because it cannot convincingly appear human, not without the help of the recently dead. Tawei confirmed this during his first visit to the cabin, but when I destroyed that dreamcatcher, there it was, proudly masquerading in the skin and hair of my best friend on this mountain. In the sunlight, no less. I cannot even imagine how his son Nathan must feel if he's even alive. Doubtful. The two hiked back down the ranger station from the cabin, knowing a blizzard was coming. I'm sure that's when Tiway died. When I got back inside the cabin, I completely lost it. I barricaded the doors and windows with every piece of furniture I could, but there just isn't enough stuff inside this little cabin to protect me. 
So I sat there, on the floor against the bed, clutching the gun, sort of wishing my Dark Visitor would just come and kill me already. But of course, this is Pike's Peak. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you here. So the mountain kept fucking with me. It was getting dark, and I was on the verge of a total psychological break. I've been running on four hours of sleep per night and just a few naps for the past two weeks. My only hope for redemption just got turned into a puppet, and I was about to find out what happens come nightfall when the Dreamcatcher no longer functions. So what did my brain decide was the best course of action at this point? To fall asleep. Honestly, Somehow, though, like, <laughs> I get that. Because, like, when you, like... When you're you exhausted, you're certain, exhausted. And when you hit a certain point of, like, trauma, your brain does just, like, it just shuts down. Like, if you're not going to go into yeah. shock, you're going to pass out. Like... <laughs> you got to remember that the human body, um... It has limits, and, and your mind is almost like a um, biological computer. And when you don't, like, go into power-saving mode, like, you're likely to have random shutdowns. Like, it's just what happens. Um, I've, I've been fighting insomnia for the better half of the last, like, ten years of my life, and let me tell you, after, like, three full days of not sleeping... Mm -hmm. You know, you you will pass out for a solid, like, close to 20 hours. I've been there. It's, it does. You, you're eventually, your body does just shut down. Right. Eventually, but not before tormenting you. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I nodded off. In fact, I think my brain just did a hard reset because nothing about that sleep was restful. I just went into a fear coma the minute the sun dipped behind the mountain. And then I woke up. I was in bed with the sheets pulled up over me. The lights were off, all of them, and my hands were empty when before they held Greg's 35, uh, 357 Magnum. When I opened my eyes, I supposed it was possible that I'd climbed into bed myself. After all, I'd caught myself sleepwalking twice the day before. But it took me... Oh, a solid minute before I realized there was a fucking arm wrapped around my chest. I did not have the reaction you'd expect. Most people would fly out of the bed screaming bloody murder, but the first thought I had was, uh, where am I? <laughs> or, where am I? <laughs> my parents divorced when I was three, so as a kid I'd spend a few nights a week at my dad's house and a few nights at my mom's. Sometimes I'd wake up in the dark and not be sure which bedroom I was in. It always took me a second to remember where I was. This is the thought that crossed my delirious mind. Maybe I was back at home in California. Maybe I was at Faye's parents' house in Arvada. I sort of rolled out from under the arm and tried to figure out who the hell was lying in bed with me. I've been sleeping with the lights on for the past few nights, and I never in my right mind have turned them off after seeing the creature so close to me a few hours ago. The body in bed beside me felt familiar, its warmth, its texture. I was pretty sure it was Faye, but I still couldn't remember if she was really with me up there. And then she spoke. She reached through the dark and touched my face and said... What's wrong, Pop-Tart? Yes, that's actually the nickname she gave me. Love me some s'mores, Pop-Tarts. 
I wasn't really afraid, just overwhelmed with confusion. I asked her where we were and why the lights were off. She just squeezed my shoulder and said, Honey, we're in Pike's Peak. There's a storm. The power's out. It's done this before. What's wrong with you? Yeah, you're the crazy one. Fucking gaslight him. Gaslight him. Yeah, just gaslight him into being. <laughs> Gaslighting isn't real. You're just fucking crazy. <laughs> I got up out of bed. A feeling of dread was falling over me, heavier and heavier. The more awake I became, as soon as the sheets were off of me, I felt a blistering cold, colder than it's ever been in that cabin. The heat must have been off for hours. Only a bit of pale moonlight filtered in through the windows, and it was barely enough to outline the objects in the room. I stumbled around, looking for the flashlight, totally unable to remember where I was, and said, Why the fuck is it so cold? Did you screw with the heat? Faye tried to get me to come back to bed. She told me it went off and came back on earlier and that it would probably be back on soon. Everything about her felt wrong, but her voice was perfectly clear. Her skin felt totally recognizable. I couldn't shake the strange feeling I had. I left the bedroom and walked out into the living room. It was even colder out there. I felt my way around with my hands and noticed a strong, icy draft coming from down the hall. It's a straight shot from the living room to the bathroom at the end of the hall, and from where I stood, I could see the bathroom window. It was wide open, a big two-by-two-foot gap leading out to the snow. I went to shout, What the fuck did you? But Faye stepped out from the bedroom and stood in the hallway behind me and the bathroom. She said something like, Felix, you aren't feeling well. Do you not remember what's going on? You're sick. I almost believed her, because I definitely felt dizzy and feverish, but it also could have been the mixture of disturbed confusion and freezing cold. The thought that this was not really Faye invaded my mind, and I immediately regretted not knowing where my gun was. The only words I could find were, Who are you? And... Why are you here? Faye just stood there, in the darkness of the hallway. The only thing I could see was a little silver outline of her figure. Her face was entirely black. But even though her eyes were hidden, I could feel them burning into me, just as T-Ways had before when I found the ring. It felt like we stood in the eye of a hurricane. Everything was totally calm, but I knew hell was about to break loose. There wasn't a single sound outside. No branches snapped, no snow crunched, no voices moaned. It was as if time had stopped completely. Faye didn't move. Even as she spoke, she held herself with the stillness of death. She said, Felix. It wasn't to get my attention. It wasn't to convince me she was really my fiance. It was a threat. She was reminding me that she knew my name. I still don't fully understand what the power in my name is, but T-Way and Nathan believed it, and many Redditor warned me about it. When she said my name, I felt smaller than her, even though I stand almost a foot over her. Do you remember the five? She asked. Uh, she still didn't move an inch. Not even her hair kicked up in the drafts that blew in from behind her. I can't remember. Not in this place. I didn't know how to respond to this. I didn't know what she was talking about. All I could say was, get out, you're not welcome here. 
Again, Faye didn't move, but she did clear her throat, and the sound she made was about two octaves deeper than Faye's real voice. She inhaled sharply and said, Tell me about the number five. And that's when I knew. I remembered where I was, what day it was, and exactly what had happened up until this point. My visitor had finally come to call, and it no longer needed to be invited. I deeply regretted breaking that dreamcatcher. My hand instinctively slid over my pocket, and to my relief, the little shape of Faye's engagement ring pushed back against my fingers. There was nothing else to do. I decided to throw down the gauntlet. I figured it was probably time to die anyway, so I might as well go out bravely. I just said, I know who you are, and you will never be Faye. She took a menacing step toward me. A gurgle seeped out of her throat. She inhaled again, more slowly this time, and demanded, I want to know about the number five. Tell me, Felix. I looked all around me on the counters for a weapon, but found nothing. The knife block was on the other side of the short wall that divided the living room from the kitchen. There was only a roll of paper towels within reach, but in retrospect, I was so amped with terror that I could probably have beaten her ass to death with it. Love and the confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking paper towels, yes! It's like the scene in Scary Movie where it's like, gun, knife, grenade, banana. <laughs> and she takes the banana <laughs> yeah. and runs. I don't have a clue what that number means, I said. In fact, about 5,000 people online don't either. Nobody knows. Only Faye knows. My visitor started shaking with rage. Her face was wreathed with impossible black. There was an endless abyss in it that stung in my eyes. But then I realized something. This creature, whatever it is, has had access to Faye's mind for several hours every night, maybe for many years. Maybe even since she first visited the cabin when she was five years old. And in all that time, it still hadn't learned everything about her. It could never perfectly imitate her because she kept some things buried so deep in her subconscious that not even this thing could find them. Whatever the number five meant to Faye, that deep places where she kept the secret, she didn't even go there in her dreams. The next part was all a blur. I said something like, you're the one who speaks to her in her sleep. The visitor kind of nodded. I said, you ask her things. She answers you. I hear everything she says. The visitor didn't react. Then I said, you've asked her this question, just like you're asking me now. And she always says, no, no, I can't tell you. My visitor took another step forward, dragging a hand along the wall, as Faye had so many times in her sleepwalking fits. It raised up on the ball of its feet and twitched violently. It said to me, I will make you tell me. It didn't try to mimic my fiancé's voice anymore. It sucked in huge breaths, trying to control its rage. There is a certain feeling you get when you're about to die. When you're in danger and you might die, fear completely overwhelms your senses, and it compels you to flee. To fight. To save yourself somehow. But past that point, when you know you are going to die, that fear becomes useless and disappears. This has happened to me only once before, when I was sucked into a riptide at the beach during an El Nino winter as a teenager. In that moment, I just wondered, will my body ever come back to shore? Will they ever know what happened to me? In this moment, my heart slowed down, and it didn't feel cold anymore. I just stood there, ready to be mauled to death. 
I was satisfied in the knowledge that I had not given this creature what it wanted and therefore blocked it from using that knowledge as a weapon against Fay. Whatever five meant, this thing needed it to take full possession of my fiancé, and I wasn't going to let that happen. I laughed, I actually laughed, and said, <laughs> Well, you're shit out of luck, buddy, because I don't know what the hell it means. Maybe you can tell me when you figure it out. The imposter laughed right back in my voice, a perfect mimicry, and then it said, Well, then we don't need you anymore. It lunged at me. I have dodged a rabid German shepherd like I was a ninja, but this thing was so fast and so strong it knocked the wind clean out of me. I toppled backward and crash landed on my shoulders on the tiles near the front door. It unleashed a barrage of blows on my face and neck. It raked my sweatshirt with razor-like claws. I tried my best to defend myself, but it was so dark in the house I couldn't see anything. I managed to flail my way free of its grasp. For just a second, I pulled myself up to my feet by grabbing the counter, and in doing so, my hand brushed against the little bundle of sage I'd been burning. Convenient! <laughs> Pure luck is the best <laughs> Let me take another look skill. at the counter I was just next to. Paper towels, paper towels, paper towels, paper towels, sage, paper towels, paper towels. Why is there nothing that can help me here? Honestly, though, that's, like, how I play video games sometimes. I'm so fucking dumb. I'll be like, where's the thing I need? Where's There's the gun? pile of trash. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, uh, that reminds me of the first time I was playing Resident Evil 7, and you're just, like, running around the house at first. I was just like, how do I defend myself? Like, the dad comes busting through the wall, and he's just like, I see you. And I'm like, but but how? <laughs> I just kind Shit. of, like, put the controller on the ground, and I said, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> I should have thrown that one out there, too. There's another Hillbilly How, my wife and me story. <laughs> oh, right. And she even is, like, a little possessed in that one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> my Hillbilly wife fell in me. Yo, oh. I was pissed about that. Like, spoiler alert, if you haven't played this oh, year's old game. Oh, it came out a while ago. You're yeah. fine. I was pissed as hell because we chose to take Zoe when we played it. And we were like, yo, fuck what's her face. Yeah, it's like, it yo, fuck you. Mia. She's never done shit for me. Zoe's been helping. And then, like, she just, like, explodes. And then you end up with your fucking possessed-ass wife anyway. Yep. <laughs> Because she's plot related. I mean, it was um, bullshit. Zoe you, deserved better. <laughs> did you play the DLC where you go back and get Zoe? No, I did not. Thank God. That exists. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I guess I could tell you that uh, Jack's. You play as Jack's brother, uh, Zoe's uncle, and uh. he um, he literally fist fights his way through the bayou to get to her. It's really Aww. funny. Thanks. There's nothing like a good uncle, right? He, you literally don't have a weapon for like half of the game, and you are just given his fists. And nice. he punches through zombies and goo monsters like they were made of tissue paper. It He's is like, ridiculous. Fuck <laughs> it's like Resident Evil 5. Like, it has no place in something as realistic as Resident Evil 7, but it absolutely happened satisfying anyway the only dlc i played was when you play as that poor bastard who gets his fingers chopped off right <laughs> poor bastard the imposter was on me like lightning 
grabbing me by the back of the neck and pulling me with its strength of a 250-pound man. I very ingloriously whirled around and smashed the sage bundle into the creature's face, burnt and first, and wrapped my other arm around its head. Face familiar locks tangled in my fingers. I pulled its head forward and jammed the brittle sage into its eyes as hard as I could, screaming like a banshee. It shrieked and growled in some inhuman language and tried to push me away, but I held on as hard as I could and kept driving my fingers into its eyes, crushing the twigs in them. A memory of Nathan and Tiwe's chant surfaced in my mind, and I shouted the only part of it that I could pronounce. Who knows if I'm even remotely close to the correct spelling. My hand slid over its face, and the mockery of face appearance fell away. I couldn't see in the dark, but the face no longer resembled my fiancé's. The mouth was much too big for a human's, and the wet lips draped across the maw of a, a hundred fangs. And that was it. The bastard had had enough. It screamed and growled and took off on all fours, its limbs elongated as it moved farther from me. Its shape became recognizably inhuman even in the pale light. It barreled up the bathroom wall and out the window, and in moments it was completely gone. I definitely am not afraid to cry. I do it at funerals, at weddings, during the Hunchback of Notre Dame but I'm a little embarrassed to admit how long and hard I cried after that creature left the cabin. I had never felt so utterly, miserably alone in my entire life. I only stopped when the power came back on, probably 20 minutes later. The heater kicked on instantly, and I ran over to shut and lock the bathroom window. My satellite phone was gone, the gun was gone, probably outside in the snow, or up in a tree, or down in the hole. I peeked out the kitchen window and saw something lying on the porch near the front door. When I cracked the door open just for a second, I saw that it was Tiwa's dream catcher. It had been destroyed and placed in front of the cabin, mocking me, or reminding me that I was unprotected. I checked the timer on the little battery clock in the kitchen, and it read 12.15 a.m., I was going to have to spend another night in this godforsaken cabin but I vowed to myself that at daybreak, no matter the conditions, I would take Greg's truck and get down the mountain or die trying. <clears throat> I didn't care if I slid off the cliff face. I'd never watch the sun go down in Colorado ever again. Mm. For a while, I actually considered leaving right then in the middle of the night. Many Redditors have reprimanded me for not doing this before, but I assure you, even in this situation, driving in the dark on that icy little road next to the 400-foot cliff is a complete nope situation. But the mountain had other plans for me. At one point, I risked sneaking outside to determine how deep the truck was buried, but as I approached, I saw that the snow had been dug out around the front two tires, and they'd been slashed to ribbons. All I could do was let out a grim laugh and trudge back inside. At least it was warm in there now. At around 1am, the voices started up. They arose from far off in the woods, several of them at once groaning and screaming dark elegies to the night. It was all the same evil gibberish I'd heard a thousand times before, but they slowly made their way into the open field, and eventually to just outside the cabin. I lit the remaining pieces of sage 
and did a once-over on the windows that weren't barricaded with furniture. I also donned the medicine pouches and amulet that T-Way and Nathan had given me, hoping that they'd similarly effective in protecting me. Then I remembered T-Way's useless dreamcatcher and imagined my crumpled corpse lying in the snow beside it. Outside the front door, I distinctively heard my own voice calling, Faye, it's me, Felix, let me in, let me in. And from near the bathroom window, my voice again saying, Hi, sweetie, I miss you so much. It repeated a few other things I've said on the phone in conversations with her, and even a few things I said to her while she was sleepwalking back at her home in California. There were footsteps on the roof, two, maybe three pairs of little feet stomping all over the ceiling, voices of crying children paired with them. I stood there in the kitchen, clutching a knife, and the herbs, dank herbs, waiting for the end. The voices circled the cabin, as though a handful of deranged lunatics were slowly marching around the perimeter, singing the songs of hell as they went. They begged for help, they laughed maniacally, they whispered and screamed and talked entirely to themselves. All at once, their dim shadows passed the window curtains over and over. I heard glass breaking in the bedroom, and then in the bathroom, the stomping of the roof grew louder, and the voice at the front door grew more urgent. Someone began knocking on the door, and the others tapped on the living room windows. They all started screaming, Faye, Faye, let us in! And Felix, are you there? And then, as if heaven sent... A blinding white light illuminated the entire cabin from outside. All of the window curtains at the front of the house lit up and the sounds of motors drowned out the hellish cries. Someone had driven up to the cabin. Oh, you lucky bastard. Yeah, day of sex. You lucky, lucky bastard. <laughs> I heard doors opening and men calling out coherently. The footsteps on the roof thundered overhead to the back of the cabin. And then the screams of children drifted off into the woods at the back, echoing as they withdrew. The ranger bashed on the front door, calling out my name, instructing me to come outside. I looked out the window and saw five men summon uniforms in the ranger. There was a humongous off-road snowplow, two snowmobiles, and a big truck. They'd come to save my life when I went outside. I just walked up and hugged the ranger. I didn't even grab my winter jacket. He informed me that they were getting everyone off the mountain because of a problem with the power grid. He said he feared that I'd freeze to death. <laughs> I don't think that's the death. The cause of death. <laughs> it's, it's the coldest last thing I'm worried about, Sheriff, but let's get the fuck out of here. The ride down the mountain would have been the happiest ride of my life except for the view. We snaked across slippery white roads, and even with the truck's high beams on, I could see the brightest stars I've ever witnessed. But beneath them, dangling in the trees, were dozens and dozens of human bodies. They swung by rope from their feet or necks. Some of them were flayed or missing parts the ranger did not appear to notice, and I kept my mouth shut. As they passed overhead on our downward crawl, I can almost make out their frozen faces, lifeless for years, maybe decades. Their black blood stained the trunks of trees. I'm not sure if these were spirits T.Y. talked about or if I'd simply been experiencing temporary insanity. I'm not sure if I'll ever know who they were, but I'm guessing that if the rangers showed up any later, I would have become one of them. I'll never forget the haunting image of passing underneath them. We arrived at the ranger station and remained there overnight. I slept on a cot in a room of about 15 people, all locals from different places on the mountain. 
I asked the ranger if he'd heard from T-Way or Nathan, but he said he had not. The next morning, one of his men drove me straight to Denver International Airport and I boarded a plane without any luggage whatsoever. It didn't matter. I had the ring in my pocket and I'll never need another jacket again as long as I live. <laughs> when I finally got home, Faye let me have it. She kept kissing me and yelling at me. I understood. She was angry that I'd spent so much time trying to take control of the situation, treating her like a child and disregarding her feelings in my crusade to rescue her. She was upset that I consigned her to the care of my best friends without asking, but seemed to appreciate their help. Richard and Jason were very happy to leave my house and never look Faye in the eye again, although they did have some good news for me. Faye had not sleepwalked or sleep-talked or done anything out of the ordinary in over 24 hours. Convenient. Mm -hmm. This corresponds mm -hmm. almost exactly with when I retrieved the ring from the Dreamcatcher. After an hour or so of reprimanding me for being a thick-headed idiot, Faye forgave me, and we laid in bed together and talked about everything. I apologized to her for the way I had treated her and put the ring on her finger. She looked relieved to have it back on. I swore I'd never screw up like that again. We both slept a full night. No strange night terrors or bad dreams or sleep disturbances of any kind. And in the morning, yesterday morning, we had Faye's favorite, waffles. Fuck yeah. At about 11 a.m., I received a call. To my great relief, it was Nathan. I immediately pressed him for information about T-Way and what exactly had happened after they left the cabin that day. He ignored my questions and said very ominously, Please let me speak to the one who followed you home. Oh. I said something like, uh, what? To which he replied, The one that calls itself Faye. My fiancé and I had been sitting on the couch watching the most recent Game of Thrones, so I just sort of handed the phone to her and said, it's for you. She put it to her ear and said, Hello? And then listened for about a minute. I could hear Nathan speaking, but I could not make out what he was saying. Suddenly... A volcano of black puke exploded from Faye's mouth. It absolutely covered the couch and carpet and sent me nearly jumping out of my skin in the process. Faye doubled over onto the floor like a ragdoll, coughing and sputtering. I fell to my knees beside her, panicking, asking if she was all right. I picked up the phone and screamed at Nathan, demanding to know what he had said to her. Nathan just said, please, Felix, please listen, and then proceeded to recite some sort of chant or incantation. A wave of syrupy vomit rushed up my throat and out of my mouth, and as with Faye, it was oily black. I am actually an emetophobe, so vomiting sends me into a state of near catatonia. But Faye had made a quick recovery and was right there to nurse me back to my senses. Nathan spoke to me a bit more and explained what he'd done. I'll get to that in a bit. Faye and I spent the rest of the day feeling queasy and eventually went to urgent care across the road to get checked out. They gave us blood tests and checked our vitals and sent us home telling us that we'd suffered minor food poisoning. But I know deep down it wasn't the damn waffles. 
Thankfully, for the past several hours, we've been feeling much better. <laughs> I just imagine, like, getting a call from any of my friends and them saying something and then me just, like, immediately vomiting and just being like, dude, what the fuck? Like, warn vomiting me next time. Vomiting your fucking guts up, just like- You could Ugh. say, like, get a bucket first, jeez. Yeah, really? <laughs> and he said it was all over the couch. Nathan, like, you, you just ruined my couch. couch. Like, <laughs> Fuck. I mentioned a while back that Tiway and Nathan had a disagreement over who the real Faye was and whether it was even possible for a duplicate of my fiancé to exist. When they hiked back down the mountain from the cabin a few days ago, they had to go up into the forest to avoid the snow collapses all over the road. Out there in the woods, they heard the crying of a woman and followed it to an abandoned mine. Both of them knew that it was very likely a trick, but Tiway said that it was their duty to explore the possibility that Faye was alive somewhere on the mountain. The blizzard came on earlier than expected. They stood at the mouth of the mine, listening to the begging of a young woman somewhere off in the dark, but concluded that its voice was too unusual to be a human's. Tiway and Nathan decided to bless the entrance of the mine, which could ward off its dark inhabitants, but their chanting enraged whatever lived in it. It came out of the tunnels and snatched Tiway. He screamed all the way down into the dark, and Nathan could not follow. He ran away, terrified, but got lost in the blizzard. He wandered for an hour, fearing death, and eventually came upon a skinned body swinging. Ugh, swinging from a low tree branch. It was so fresh, the blood hadn't yet fully frozen. Nathan knew it was his father's corpse. Eventually, he found his way back home. He said his father's voice guided him out of the squall. Nathan explained to me that the imposter's goal of taking over someone's mind was different from its penchant for killing people. These creatures hunt and kill at random, salvaging the human parts they need to walk the earth as mortals for a short time, but their real pleasure derives from conquering a person from within. Faye was one of the unlucky few that are chosen in this way, and the imposter's fixation on her had lasted for decades. After long enough, their continued presence in the body and mind of a victim leaves a stain on the soul. This corruption necessitates a purge, hence the barf party we held in the living room. Whose stains, by the way, I have thus failed to banish. I guess you have to move. Yeah. Burn the furniture. Burn the house. Burn everything. Burn the fiancé. <laughs> Burn the fiancé. <laughs> Burn yourself. Burn Nathan yourself. invited me to the funeral ceremony for Tiway. I sadly declined, as I'm already on the verge of losing my job and flat broke from this experience, but I promised that I'd honor his memory in my own way. I can't go back to that place. Fortunately, Nathan was more than understanding and promised we'd meet again soon. I'm still thinking about all this. I don't yet have all the pieces to the puzzle. If you're looking for all the answers, you're going to have to help me find them. But I think I have a part of this figured out. The imposter gave Faye's ring back to me. They wanted me to destroy the Dreamcatcher. The ring was an object of great sentimental value, both to Faye and to our relationship. The creature used it to invade Faye's mind and control her thoughts. Its goal was to convince her that it was me, so that she would welcome it into our house late at night. The home, Nathan said, symbolically represents the body, just as the ring represents our union. To be welcomed into the home is to be granted access to Faye. 
but because the imposter could never learn everything it needed to from Faye to mimic me, it gave up on that project and instead came after me. It returned the ring to me, thus giving up its power over Faye, but I broke the Dreamcatcher to retrieve it. As it turns out, that creepy mysterious Dreamcatcher was in fact protecting the cabin and everyone inside it, which is why the imposter needed to be invited in. When I broke it, the creature could have easily come in and killed me, but it needed information from me before it did. It needed to know one of Faye's darkest secrets to rule her. I'm not sure I'll ever unravel the mystery of the number five, but I do know one thing. Not knowing what it means actually saved Faye's life. I'm not sure if I ever want to know. As for Faye, she's back to normal and in perfect health. She sleeps soundly and only mumbles a bit, which is pretty normal for her. Her sixth sense of humor has returned as well. Last night as we went to sleep, she turned out the lights and said to me, Thank you for trying so hard. Then she leaned over and licked my face. Ma'am, <laughs> too soon. <laughs> I think, like, story-wise, that feels a little bit more finite. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel about that last part. Hmm. I guess we'll have to find out. Huh. There's a lot you... more story left, too. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you want to jump into part 11? Yeah. Part 11. Last month, my fiance Faye and I went to her parents' cabin up in Pikes Peak, Colorado, and had a set of extremely weird and terrifying experiences. We found an old dream catcher on a tree in the woods out back, and at night we heard a series of unsettling voices calling out to us from the forest. At first, we thought someone was messing with us, but then the voices started to take on recognizable traits. We heard Faye's grandfather calling out for help, he's been dead since 2012, and my mother laughing, she lived 700 miles away. Faye got sick and began talking in her sleep, and at one point the voice of a woman outside began to repeat some of the things Faye was mumbling, as though they were communicating. I documented the entire experience here on No Sleep and received overwhelming support from fellow Redditors. Thousands of people have gotten involved with helping us out. Everything has been all and really great up until a few days ago. Oh, here we go again. It's not over. <laughs> it never is. <laughs> Y'all are going to hell. <laughs> I'm sorry I haven't posted about this matter in a while, but Faye and I have been trying to forget. Especially with her weird sleep disorder, the best course of action for us was to try and bury what had happened and move on with our lives. The more upset and stressed out she becomes, the more she sleepwalks and sleep talks, and that is when scary things happen. For those of you who haven't read the prior stories, my fiancé has suffered from extensive sleep disturbances since she was five. She has night terrors and is an accomplished sleepwalker. I like that, like you can get a medal. I'm an accomplished insomniac. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, like, if, if you're accomplished at anything, then, you know, it's, you might as well have a master's in it. It's true. I have a master's in having depression. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> and no, that's not a joke about art school. <laughs> At the I'm multi-layered. <laughs> I'm deep. <laughs> At the request of Redditors, I interviewed her so you can hear all about her weird experiences. 
Long story short, some sort of entity became fixated upon her while we were at the cabin in Colorado and made several attempts to coax her into the woods. When those attempts failed, it came after me. It followed us home to California and tried to get into our house at night by communicating with Faye while she sleepwalked. We were both exposed to whatever it was to the point where that it made us ill. A family friend, Nathan, essentially forced us to puke our guts out in a spiritual pur- purging process, although I wish he'd told us first because we destroyed my living room carpet. <laughs> we thought it was over. Faye went back to normal and returned to her playful, funny self. She got her strength back, and not just physically, but the strength of her personality returned as well. She's been feisty and won't put up with any of my shit, which was a great sign that she was feeling better. And she's been wearing her engagement ring and hasn't left her finger since we got back. But two nights ago, weird things started to happen. I absolutely dreaded writing this because I know that by paying attention to it, I'd risk exacerbating the situation. The part of the carpet where we'd lost our lunch is permanently stained and rather dark because I can't afford to get a decent carpet cleaner out in time. When we were watching, crying through the new Game of Thrones on Sunday, Faye pointed out that the stain looked like the shape of a man. It's about three feet long and basically looks like some kind of two-dimensional troll. We made some Rorschach jokes about it and then went to bed. I rolled over in the middle of the night to put my hand on Faye's back, and the second I touched that empty space on the bed, a thousand horrible thoughts rushed through my head. Faye hasn't sleepwalked since things settled down, and I feared this was an omen that our visitor returned. I found her downstairs. She was sitting in the dark, spine straight, right in front of the TV. It was off, her eyes were closed, but she was running her fingers across the stain on the carpet, whispering to it and giggling. I raced over and threw the light on, forgoing my rule of never waking her up abruptly from a bout of sleepwalking. I just didn't want this to be happening again. I couldn't accept it. Just before I shook her awake, she said, How could I forget? She came to and had no idea where she was. She seemed unusually upset that I'd woken her up as if she were in the middle of a good dream, but then appeared frightened when I told her what was happening. I asked if she remembered anything, but she said no. I can't tell if she lied to me. On our way upstairs, she inexplicably vomited all over the wall. God it was the damn same it! Dark brown, black color as when Nathan poisoned us. At this point, I was completely freaking out. I tried to keep my cool and help Faye into bed, got her some water, and made sure she was all right. She was absolutely fine and couldn't explain why she had puked. When I shut off the light, closed the bedroom door, and spent about a half an hour trying to clean the goddamn wall off. <laughs> I've mentioned in my previous posts that I'm an eminophobe. M- Emetophobe? metaphobe. So cleaning vomit is basically the worst form of punishment I can imagine. But something distracted me from the horrid stench. No matter how hard I scrubbed, the stain would not come out, and it had splattered in roughly the shape of a man. Because of the fact that Faye was standing halfway up the stairs and barfed down the wall, this time the stain was much longer than the one on the carpet. Almost five feet tall. When I got into bed, Faye was still awake and was kind enough to give me a really nice shoulder rub as I laid there in a heap. I was nauseated and terrified. She tried to reassure me, but we both knew what was happening. Whatever it is that's fascinated with her, it's back. Or it never left. I don't know how long we sat there talking, but eventually I passed out, Faye lying in my arms. She said a few more things, but I couldn't catch them. I was just too tired. The next day, I tried to reach out to Nathan, but he wasn't answering his phone. I had to work, so I didn't see a all day, and I got home before she did, so I spent several hours jumping in every sound outside while grading my students' final papers. When she did get home, she said she'd felt sick all day and just wanted to sleep, so she went upstairs and showered, and then got to bed. Around 10.30pm, I shut off my laptop and headed upstairs. Faye was sitting on the bed, feet on the ground, staring out the open window into the woods across the street. 
I gently laid her down, rubbed her back until she snored, that's the only way to guarantee she won't get up for a long time, and inspected the whole house. I don't know if I'm just freaking myself out or if I'm tired, but the vomit stains seem bigger now than they were before. I'm calling a guy tomorrow to do some professional cleaning. I'm pissed because I know I'm going to get stuck with a $200 bill for the job. I checked the backyard and didn't see anything and then made sure the front door was locked and all the windows were sealed tight. The last window I checked was the one in the guest room, the one on which Faye had drawn the number five backwards while sleepwalking. I stood there for a long time. It was late and dark, and all of the memories of last month's events just kept cycling through my mind over and over. I felt dizzy and sleepy, almost hypnotized. It was a strange feeling, an ineffable mixture of strange relaxation and terror. I cannot explain to you why I did this, but without even thinking about it, I reached out my hand and lazily drew a backwards five on the window. And in that little moment, I saw something move behind the trees across the street. Faye abruptly burst into sleep laughter from down the hall. As I walked back to the bedroom in the dark, I could hear her giggling the entire way. Nothing else to report now. It's 10.31pm as I write this and I'm going to go to sleep. I'll update if there are any new developments. I pray there aren't any. <laughs> that was a short uh, part. Yeah, that was really short. This is part 12. A lot of Redditors have mentioned that since I retrieved Faye's ring from the creepy dream catcher, it's possible that it had been cursed. After all, the ring was given back to me. It could be what is causing the new disturbances around my house. So Faye and I have decided to take the long trek back to Pike's Peak from once the evil ring came and destroyed it by throwing it into the mine at the top of the mountain. We've gathered a fellowship of seven other people willing to help us on this journey. Just kidding. But seriously. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor. He has to, right? <laughs> I, I really liked that, though. I was, like, starting to draw a bunch of lines. I was like, oh, man, this is, like, really great. Oh, fuck. But seriously, a lot of people have speculated that the ring is now the problem. I'm taking this into consideration, but Faye is not willing to part with it right now, seeing as how she just got it back. But if the entity seeking Faye did curse the ring and got me to break the Dreamcatcher to retrieve it, it is even more clever than I could have anticipated. More on this if I decide to make a move. We had a professional carpet cleaning service come out yesterday and try to tackle the puke stain situation. The guy took me over and over that's not vomit, I could get vomit out. It took him a long time, but he finally managed to get most of the stain off the carpet in the living room and recommended we get checked out at a hospital. <laughs> I told him we already had, some parts of the carpet are still spotted and ruined. He gave me a discount. The wall in the stairwell is another story. The guy took one look at it and said we need to paint it, but I insisted the stain had to be removed before doing so. He told me to strip it and sand the wall, and he could come back and do it on his day off for a small fee. I told him I'd take care of it. He made an exorcism joke and left. I was not amused. <laughs> Faye came home very excited yesterday. She got a promotion at her job. We celebrated by going out to dinner at our favorite steakhouse. She ordered her normal meal, thank God, and had a few drinks. I don't drink at all, so I was the DD for the evening. When we got home, we pretty much went right to bed, and on the way up, she drunkenly said, Fuck that guy, and pointed a lazy hand at the stain on the wall. Honestly, though, like, that's me. <laughs> like, if, if I was in her, like, that's exactly what drunk yeah, me would fuck, say. Fuck so him. Like, fuck you, man, guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> That night I had a very strange dream. I dreamed I was trying to scrub the stain off the wall just like I had a few days ago, but this time I was scrubbing in the dark. 
Moonlight was just barely seeping in through the window and illuminating the outline of the stain, which looked more like a man than ever before. It loomed over me as I crouched there on the stairs, but then something weird happened. The wall underneath the stain turned mushy, like oatmeal, and gave way to my hand. My arm went right through the drywall. When I pulled it out, there was a faint light coming through the hole. I pushed more and more of the squishy wall away, and it crumbled and plopped onto the floor on the other side. At last, I cleared a hole big enough to squeeze through. It led into a familiar place. I realized I was where I was the second I stepped in. It was freezing cold, even in the dream. I was in the cellar of the cabin, where I'd found all those jars and that hair, where I'd found the pieces needed to make more dream catchers. I felt instantly afraid, and turned around to go back into the house, but the wall was sealed shut. The only way out of the cellar was through the open panels at the top of the wooden staircase leading to the outside. Snow was falling down onto the stairs. I remember seeing something on the ground behind one of the shelves. I picked it up and instantly recognized its importance. It made me feel like I understood everything better. But before I could see what it was, I was woken up by Faye. We were still in bed. She was sitting up against the pillows, running her fingers across my neck and back. She was looking down at me, smiling, but her hair was dangling in such a way that it obscured her. It obscured her face a little, and the moon lit her up from the window behind her, so she looked different. I recognized my fiancé's hair and body, but her face looked old and weathered, like an old man's. At that point, I noticed her hand felt different, too. It was rough and heavy, like a guy's. It took me a second to realize that she was probably asleep, so I sat still and just watched her. After a few moments of this, she abruptly got out of bed and walked to the door, mumbling to herself about that sound again. I followed her quietly, wondering what she'd do. She walked through the hall, never searching for the light switch, and stood at the top of the stairs. She started whisper-arguing with something down there in the dark, like when a couple is bickering in public, but they're trying to hide it. She said, You need to leave. You need to get the fuck out of here and never come back. I, I don't know any of them. I don't know anybody. Is that you? Who's with you? Who's making all that noise? You just gonna stand there and call my name all night? Well, why don't you come up here, then? You don't think I don't know what you're doing? The last thing she said was, we don't know. Leave us alone. She shouted it so loud it took me off guard and momentarily paralyzed me with fear. I rushed over and grabbed her before she could fall down the stairs. She told me to get off of her and that she didn't need help, then brushed past me toward the bedroom. Along the way, she vomited. I got to spend another hour trying to clean that up while she slept soundly. And guess what? New stain. It wasn't until writing this that I realized the stain has been making its way closer and closer to the bedroom. Ooh, I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> I, I fucking hate that. The guy-shaped the guy -shaped stain that just keeps clawing its way to your bedroom? Yeah, no. No, no. You're you, not a fan. You, no, I hate that. Burn the house down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Burn the house. Burn house the would fiance. already be cinders. Burn yourself. Burn everything. Honestly... There, this is the time to instigate a nuclear war and just have them nuke the entire state of California. Right. If that's right. where they are. Infection. Like, they, just say infection. Go. Yep. I'm infected. Go. Everyone around me is infected. Nuke the nuke from orbit. 
Yep, just nuke from orbit. Call it a day. This morning before work, I talked to Faye about what happened and she had no recollection of any of it, including barfing up our expensive dinner, but she did say she heard several voices outside this, the house early this morning. She said there was a child calling out, where is she, where is she, and a man grumbling angrily, but she couldn't make out his words. She also said I was talking in my sleep this morning, which is something I almost never do. Faye agreed to seeing the doctor again because of the vomiting and also mentioned to me after reading the Reddit comments that hypnotism might be a good thing to try. So we're looking for one in our town. More on that if anything develops. Also, her older sister, Becca, is going to come into town for a few days to visit us and see how things are going. Becca lives in Arizona with her husband and infant son, so I've only ever actually met her a handful of times. It'll be nice having some extra people in the house for once so they could see her vomiting all over the place, talking to people in the night and, you know, scaring the shit out of everyone. It's yeah, a really, good, really brings... good time for Becca to come out of nowhere in the story. Boy, I hope Becca brings her infant son. I'm sure that bringing that into the house where there's Throws up on the kid and demon stands <laughs> and all kinds of terrifying things that have no issue attaching to children, I'm sure that's going to go really well. It's really good. Yeah, really good. Really good. In other news, Nathan is still not returning my calls, so I might try the Ranger tonight. I also want to let you all know that it's finals week, both for me as a graduate student and for the undergraduate students that I teach. I might not be able to update every other day like I usually do. If I'm missing for an extra day or two, don't be alarmed. I'm keeping a close watch on Faye. And I have one last thing to report. Today at lunch, I put my head down in my office and drifted off for a few minutes. This is also unusual for me because I'm a chronic insomniac and do not take naps almost ever, but I had another dream. Tiway came to me. For those of you who don't know, Tiway was a Native American man who lived near P uh, Pikes Peak. He and his son Nathan blessed our cabin and helped Faye and me in our struggle last month. He died in the woods under mysterious circumstances during my last night at the cabins. But like, but like he didn't though. But he, he but died it, because the Nathan imposter told you dragged exactly him into. What happened. <laughs> Nathan told you exactly what happened, and it's like your fault. Like, Honor he his died memory, because he, fuck. Really, he was dragged into the mine by a demon creature, and because he was helping you, like, bro. Truth. <laughs> Own up. Own up to it, Felix. In the dream, I was looking out our bedroom window, and Tiway was standing at the tree line across the street. It was really him, not the creature that did a horrifying impersonation of him. He was pointing into the forest. I think I'm going to go in there, but I don't know whether I can trust my own dreams anymore. And that's where the imposter hides. Whew, okay. Sorry for the long wait, no sleep. I really do appreciate your concern. I can't even describe how busy I am right now. Faye's older sister, Becca, and her baby son, Caleb, are here, staying in the guest room, which is a great idea and not at all worrisome. <laughs> it's finals week next week for my students, so I'm hosting tons of meetings with them, and I've only got one of three major projects done for my direct doctoral advisor. I'm grading a huge stack of essays. Oh, and something is trying to steal my fiance's skin or mind control her into killing me or something, so yeah, it's pretty busy around here. How about you? I want to be absolutely transparent about something because a lot of people have been asking me. Yes, this series is now being turned into a book. At the behest of a humongous amount of no sleep and story pick readers, we successfully crowdfunded it this week. I did not huh. mention any of this in my posts because Reddit has a strict rule against advisement, advertisement. And I've grown very fond of the community here on no sleep. I really don't want to get into trouble. 
Secondly, I feel that my experiences at the cabin and subsequent events are becoming overlong, and my biggest fear is that people here are going to get sick of hearing from me, so I'm going to try to post less and say more. Friday morning, my ass hadn't even warmed the seat in my office before I got a call from Faye's boss notifying me that Faye had been acting erratic. Erratic, in fact, to the point that they sent her home from work. She apparently stood in the open doorway of one of the storehouses, staring into the darkness within, not moving for several minutes. A coworker tried to get her to snap out of it, but she did not. A few minutes later, the boss came over and found Faye inside, standing in the shadows, looking out. It was pitch black inside the storehouse, so when the boss flipped on the lights, she found Faye standing there in the corner, just smiling up at her, eyes unfocused. A few seconds later, she came right out of it and went back to work. About an hour later, my fiancé allegedly claimed that she could feel eyes on her while she was working and had to go inside the break room to sit down. Her co-workers found her fast asleep and just left her there, thinking she was hungover or sick, and went to lunch. What the fuck? What kind of fucking bullshit? Yeah, no, that's fine. She's cool. <laughs> what shitty co-workers? <laughs> you okay, bro? You okay? Yeah, she's great. She's good. She's good, bro. <laughs> when they came back, Faye was sleepwalking in large circles around the perimeter of the room, singing a lullaby. This scared the other employees so much they got the park manager to actually drive her home. They didn't trust her to drive. Now Faye has to take a drug test because they think she's on drugs. That's understandable, actually. That's the only understandable thing they've done. <laughs> Thankfully, she's completely clean. When I got home, I immediately took Faye to urgent care, who miraculously got us in in a reasonable amount of time. We explained everything. Everything. I thought the doctors would think we were insane, but both of them actually looked scared shitless. After a CAT scan, a blood panel, and several other small tests, they concluded that Faye seems to be healthy but needs a full psychiatric evaluation. They gave us a referral and we made an appointment, but it's two weeks out. We'll have the blood panel back sooner. When we got home, Faye took a nap and I went out into the woods across the street from our neighborhood where I saw Tue in my dream. For those of you who aren't cut up, it's pronounced Tway, and we still don't know how he died. I wandered around- Yes, you do! <laughs> you literally do. Nathan told you how he died. I like, I like how I like how everything that's happening right now is is really bad and not great at all. Yes. And it's almost like the narrator has forgotten like everything that's happened thus far. Yeah, I'm like, dude, like you know how he died. He was dragged into a mine and skinned. Like that's what happened. Like Every time, every time Tua's name is brought up, it's like my heart hurts just a little bit, I and know. like it's the narr- only- <laughs> the narrator's already like forgotten how he's died and like under what circumstances and like for what for what cause for what effect. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's like a writing thing or if it's like the. I don't know. I don't. We'll have to find out. Hopefully, it's a narration thing. I hope so. For okay. We still don't know how he died. I wandered around between the trees, trying to figure out if there was something I needed to find. For about ten minutes, I searched and found nothing, but then I remembered the phrase that many of the voices at the cabin kept repeating. Up in the trees or down in the hole. You go up in the trees or all the way down. Down, down, so deep you never see the light again. There are so many variants of that phase I can't remember them all, but I looked at the top of the trees and voila! There was a little crudely constructed object made of twigs and twine dangling from a branch about 20-30 feet off the ground. It looked kind of like the dream catcher we found at the cabin, but it was obviously made with twigs from the very tree from it was dangled, so it was a different color and shape. I climbed up in the tree to try and retrieve it, but it was so frail it fell apart the second I pulled it toward me. 
One thing about its drought in particular, it had strands of fiery, strawberry blonde hair dangling off of it, just like Faye's. I need your opinions on this. As far as I know, Faye cannot climb trees. Then again, there's apparently a lot I don't know about Faye. My fiancé went out around 7 p.m. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that... I feel like they're trying to elude... Like, with both with the five thing... And, like, we haven't really talked about it, because I was going to save it for end of mm-hmm. episode discussion, but it's, like, with the five thing and with all of this, like... New, new distrust. Like, I feel like they're leading up to something with Faye. Like, something might yeah. be wrong with her. Definitely. My fiance went out around 7 p.m. and picked her sister Becca up from the airport. She insisted that I stay home and rest. I think she feels bad about how often she deprives me of sleep. I reluctantly obliged. They came home about 9 p.m., but with them was Becca's son, Caleb. I know nothing about babies, but Caleb is pretty cool. He cries less than my students and is smarter than half of him. And Faye absolutely adores him. I already hate where this is going. (laughs) Becca and I caught up over hot chocolate in the living room while Faye unleashed the full scope of her maternal instincts upon Caleb upstairs. She sang lullabies, laughed, cooed, and basically went mommy crazy. I know that when Becca leaves, I'm going to have to deal with Faye crying and wishing we had kids already. Becca is tough as nails, just like her sister, but it comes from being raised in a strict military family. Having a strict dad also teaches girls how to be expert liars, and I got the sense that Becca was selling me all sorts of bullshit when I told her about what happened at the cabin. Becca's five years older than Faye and has already been married twice. She's a ten-year-old daughter with her first husband. She claimed that she only went up to the cabin at Pikes Peak once. She said the drive there made her car sick, so whenever her parents went there with Faye as a little girl, she'd just sleep over at a friend's house instead. Bullshit. She also, yeah, I, I don't believe that. Liar. Not for a second. Liar. Not for a second. Yep. She also told me she has no idea what the number five means to Faye and dodged me like a minnow when pressed. I get the overwhelming sense that she is deeply troubled by Faye's behavior and not just because it's creepy. She knows something she's not saying. Faye's entire family seems to be keeping me out of the loop about something big. Fuck them. A very tech-savvy Redditor. Honestly, fuck them. Fuck Faye's family. They suck. All of them. Greg, Becca, and what was the mom's name? Lisa? I don't remember. Fuck her, Lisa or something? Fuck her. Fuck her. A very text-heavy Redditor offered to help me track down Jennifer, and he delivered. When I checked my email the night before Betty had provided me with an email address and phone number of Jennifer's husband, she remarried after Tom hanged himself. Tom was so deeply disturbed by his experiences at the cabin that he couldn't take it even after moving to Nevada. Or maybe he just couldn't take Jennifer. What a dick thing to say. Oh my god. Whoa. Relax. Relax. I emailed the guy. His name is William. And he got back to me the next day and asked me to call him. I explained the situation to him. He informed me that he and Jennifer had moved to Washington State years ago. But she started abusing prescription medication a year into their marriage. Over the course of a few weeks, she reportedly told William that she'd hurt her daughter, who died in childhood calling to her from the forest outside their home. One night when William got home from work, the back door was open and Jennifer was gone. She was left with her shoes and jacket. Jennifer went missing for almost six months. A group of campers found her remains about 40 miles away. She had been buried in the ground with her legs sticking out. They'd been gnawed clean by wolves. Um, am, am I to now assume that perhaps... Perhaps Faye got, like, someone else killed? 
and they had to like cover it up maybe but like like maybe Faye had a friend when she was five and the friend went with her to the cabin and then or maybe like I don't know honestly I'm really stumped I'm not gonna lie yeah that night I woke up to the sound of a baby crying Faye was gone my first thought was that it was coming from her because a few weeks ago she had accurately mimicked the sounds of a child's cries while walking around the house at night but this time it was Caleb I walked down the hall that led to the guest room and found the door open. Becca wasn't there, and the crib was empty. I followed down. The, I followed the sounds down the stairs, walking past the barf stain on the wall. I'm gonna strip it today, and saw Faye and Becca sitting on the couch. Faye was cradling Caleb in his arm, in her arms, staring at him, and Becca was babbling on and on about her husband. She didn't notice that <laughs> Faye was actually asleep. When Faye looked up at me, only the whites of her eyes showed. They were rolled back in her head. She was completely out of it, and she smiled. I stood there for a second, just really disturbed at the scene, and didn't say anything. Suddenly, something moved just outside the sliding glass door behind them, the door that leads to our tiny little garden. It was almost pitch black out there, but the black shape of a man, a huge man, moved away from glass and vanished into the darkness. Someone had been standing there behind Faye and Becca, watching them play with Caleb. I took off out the front door, hoping to circle around and intercept the man. We lived in a housing complex that has a walkway that goes behind all the houses, and the only thing separating it from each backyard is a tiny wooden gate that you can literally step over. It's mostly to keep dogs and rodents out. But I ran up and down the path and found nothing at all. There was, however, an oily black substance on the ground about ten yards away from our back patio. Later that night, Faye started mumbling more lullabies in her sleep. I'm guessing it's probably because she's been thinking about Becca and Caleb's visit, and she loves kids so much. She also said, he's in the stains. He gets up and walks around in the dark. I took the advice of a few Redditors and asked her, Faye, what did you forget? She paused for a long time and then replied, he needs me. Right when she said it, a child left somewhere outside. Tomorrow, the Shoshone woman who visited us last month is going to come back with her friend who specializes in hypnosis. I'll report the results when I can. Again, please forgive me if it takes a bit longer. This week is a nightmare. <laughs> Lots of fun little revelations here as we kind of Whew. approach the finale effort. That is the end of today. Um, we have a little bit more. We, we're going to do the same amount... Um, plus an extra part next time. So it's going to be about just as long. Um, I... It's weird because it's almost like the story ended and then restarted from their house. Like, we always knew that, like, it was happening in multiple places, but... When they left the cabin, you know, it, it feigned that there was a, an amount of safety with where they were going. Um, and now their house is up for, you know, possession and haunting. Um, the Becca thing I don't like. I don't like her. N- nor her child. <laughs> um, I'm like... I just, like, I don't like any of this. Like, it's just, like, woo, woo. Are they honing in on a lot of shit you just don't like? Well, I mean, I, like, you know, 
weirdly enough, stuff about like demons and spirits doesn't normally disturb me. I get a little more worried about like people <laughs> generally. Sure. Um, like I don't know, de- like demons, demons, and like those kinds of things don't usually weird me out. But like, what always the the one thing that really gets me is the kinds because you know we usually assume that a haunting is attached to a place right like we talked about Some, yeah sometimes time. yeah and like you know they left the place and they were like all right and like the assumption is that they're fine but, now kind of but if but you were not. to go with the annabelle logic sometimes it's a thing yeah sometimes it's a thing but like usually there's something concrete right that it right. attaches to and the idea of something attaching to a person and being able to just follow you that you can't get rid of that definitely unsettles me. <laughs> that's uh, that's like really the grudge. Deeply. Yeah. Shit, I forgot about yeah. the grudge. I wonder how she's doing. Yeah, that's doing. like the grudge. <laughs> uh, well, they're they're remaking it. Uh, Sam Raimi is producing. Um, the guy who did Evil Dead is producing. It definitely looks like it's going to have a higher kill count and a lot more hauntings. But um, they're kind of proving its worth. They're proving exactly what you just said. Um Someone went to Japan, came to America with the same haunt, and now anyone who steps foot on that place in America also gets haunted. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the plot of the new one. It's very, uh, it's very in the same vein of what we're going with. Yeah, it's like uh, just the idea. The, it's just the idea. I think of something just like invading your home, but also your body. Oh, I right. have like. Right. One of my, like, one of my things is, like, pretty much, like, I'm all about bodily autonomy, and that's, like, one of my biggest things, and, like, so the thought of something being able to violate that, especially in a, something that I could not get rid of, very unsettling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, very whether unsettling. we're talking something physical, like alien or something metaphysical like an exorcism like a exorcist type of thing demon possession um no one i don't i can't think of a a single person on this planet who doesn't fear their loss of control you know their loss of life like being autopilot while something else controls you you know that Mm -hmm. that sounds haunting for for anyone and that that shit has been around for so long as a a horror stereotype um i think i'm i'm still kind of i'm still kind of stuck story-wise this the i i expected some some answers to be given this part and i don't i don't think i've gotten as many as i wanted um no no the only the only thing that i got kind of answered is that there is a difference between like the imposter murdering someone and the imposter like you know possessing haunting someone, someone. Like, yeah yeah there is a difference so i get that and that i'm like happy but that's honestly it like everything else is still so like up in the air Right. I'm I'm a little stuck on, well, you know, uh, Faye has a secret. We're absolutely going to learn that next part. Hopefully it'll shed some light hopefully. on um, what's happened with with the secret out in play that makes her up for possession, because then that makes, you know, people know about her secret, makes her less safe. 
mm-hmm. but but maybe but maybe by finding out what it is, um, they can, they're like, ab- finally they're able to put an end, end to it to stop it from mm-hmm. fucking with them. You know, um, exactly. The the black puke thing, um, I liked it for a certain amount of time, but I guess I still have the same the same problem, um, where it's just like. I don't, my, my disconnect from what we started this part with and my disconnect with how I feel like where we're at now is almost like the narrator isn't thinking as clearly as he was in the cabin. I feel like, I feel like this, like this guy at this point, no matter how restful your sleep has been for the last like two months, like, aren't you running around with pockets full of sage every day? Like, don't you, like, haven't you talked to Nathan and, like, learned every incantation you possibly can to protect yourself mm-hmm. should anything come back? Like, I'm the type of person who goes on vacations with a medical kit in my in my backpack, you know, mm-hmm. like... Uh, As you should. I'm, I'm, well, I try to be prepared. There have been so many situations where I wasn't and I regretted it that now I mm-hmm. learned and... He just learned, you know, he just had that moment of seeing how something can go wrong. Like, yeah, he got learned already. So, you know, why are the defenses down so easily? Why is he so surprised that shit is just resuming all over again? I I think it's a little trite storytelling wise. Uh, I do too. To start us all back off at the beginning with with your no your your five page part in the middle there was basically a recap, and I'm like, I didn't think this was a sequel. I didn't think this was like a two parter, or else I would have made this a two part episode, you know. But um, that's kind of how it's being treated. Is like I don't know if the players we came into this with are the same players we're finishing this with. So I hope it wraps it up all together. I do wonder if they're going to do something with him, but I also know that from, like, a narrative standpoint, he has to update the no-sleep thing, so I'm kind of like, I feel like he can't die. You well, know what I mean? Well, like, we've I mean, we've beaten that meta boundary before, though. Um, mm-hmm. In plot holes, it's the whole point of the story, that the, the kid basically looks at you through the computer and the final lines are, well, if I'm dead, how am I writing this story? Well, that's a plot hole. So you better watch out. Like, you know, you know, for, for left, right game, the woman catalogs everything through time and space and mystically sends it back to our reality. You know, like Mm -hmm. she becomes something else beyond human comprehension. I'm sorry for spoiling both of those stories, but, um, (laughs) But that's the truth. Also, there, there are there are times also... where an unreliable narrator um, is important to telling the good story. But it's you're true. right; it has been very in the mud him, thus yeah, far. Him centric, and I mean, I mean, granted, though he does have two best friends who know about this now. Um, you know, Nathan knows about it. Faye, her sister, now the ranger. Like, so it is possible that someone else someone else could ends update. it. Yeah, that is possible. That's happened before too. I wouldn't be that yeah. that maybe maybe I don't know. I think right now my prediction is that either the real Faye like died when she was 5 and this is something hmm. else that or could, yeah. it's someone else who took Faye's like identity to kind of like cover it up for the parents. Or um You're thinking out of the box. I like it. 
that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. Like I don't know if it's like maybe I, I don't know. Maybe maybe her parents aren't her real parents. Like there's a lot of things, but I think that's one of those things and I think that this will I personally think this is going to end with Faye dying or it being revealed to not be Faye and then she's banished and then this guy's just kinda left holding the bag. Interesting. I, I would like that as a twist now that you put that in my head. Like Faye Faye was never their kid. Maybe Faye's mm-hmm. maybe Faye's family was ruined up in that cabin. Maybe his maybe her parents were Will and Jen. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe Faye was taken. They went mm-hmm. nuts and then they planted a very young little imposter there. And then mm-hmm. the new people come to inherit the cabin and they find this little girl. Yep, exactly. And they're, and they're just like, oh, let's take her in. And she just happens to be five. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she lives her life totally normally. But to everyone else, she has these eccentricities like sleepwalking, sleep talking, doing weird shit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe that, that would be fun. I'd be content with that type of twist. Uh, I still don't think that's what it's going to be. That's what do you think? I don't I don't. I don't think. You don't think. <laughs> I don't oh, know. I don't know. I can't I can't possibly begin to to even guess where this is going because I feel like there's a disconnect between what the beginning of this story was with what it's going to do now. I feel like it's almost like what happened before doesn't matter now. Mm-hmm. So I have to almost base all of my assumptions off of what's happening now. Because yeah, like because like Becca yeah. wasn't brought up before. Like none of her other no. family was brought up before. The secret was just a a question, you know, it was an mm-hmm. answer for the end of the first part, but now it's a plot point. Um mm-hmm. You know, they're doing the whole stir of echoes hypnosis thing in this next part. So that should be fun. Um, yeah, that's going to be. Whew. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I have a feeling that's going to be pretty gnarly. I hope so. I hope it reveals some some truth to the I situation. Do. I, hope they, I hope they give us a little more next time because like I definitely like I think there's a really great balance to be had between like you know shedding some light on things and like giving people little tidbits and then leaving mm-hmm. some things shrouded in mystery right. and they did really well with that in the first episode that we did and now for this one I'm kind of like there's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers I, happening. I loved I loved the segment I was able to read today where mm-hmm. where he woke up and there was a woman in his bed and it looked like Faye. Um, and it and talked then, like Faye and, and it whole, felt like Faye. The whole, you know, end of the movie, like, I know this isn't my wife thing. Like, mm-hmm. I liked that. And then all that the creatures good. started attacking the house and there was a deus ex machina and then he escaped, mm-hmm. you know, luckily. You know, from that point forward, I think it took a little bit of a dip. Um, yeah, agreed. So I'm. It's like I'm, the pace kind of like slowed way down. Right. You know, in I'm going off of um, this. This story has been relatively grounded thus far, and I like to think of the descent whenever I can, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, there are some secrets they come up in the third act, but for the most part, these are just normal people with normal lives, and they're just finding themselves in an unfortunate circumstance. Um, Definitely. That being said, the narrative fucks with you a bunch. That that movie mm-hmm. is famous for having a false ending um, where you think she gets out and then it blinks back, 
you know, 10 minutes ago and she's still stuck and then the movie ends. So it's mm-hmm. like, could I see this, the story ending that way? Like, absolutely. Like, him just getting Did nowhere you... and just being like, well, this is my mm-hmm. life now. Like, I live with a yep. crazy woman and and mm-hmm. nothing is solved and everything is possessed and vomit is everywhere. Misery. Yeah, exactly. Do you did you play Oxenfree? I did. Yeah, did. like that. I was also thinking of that kind of ending where even if you do everything right and it seems great, then all of a sudden you're back at the beginning. Yeah, that, uh, and that I do Donnie Darko esque. Yeah, I do wonder if they're gonna do like a like confusion with like being awake and being asleep kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like where they'll kind of make Reality it harder bending. and harder. Yeah, exactly. To determine what's real and what's not. Yeah, and that's what I and that's why I say that it's a little tough to tell where this is gonna go. You know, if yeah. if you had asked me like halfway through this section, I'd be like, oh, this is, you know, th- th- it's all a lot more practical now. But now it's a lot more like, like no, now that now it's based on the secrets that are being held, and I think that whatever secrets are going to come to light in the next part are going to dictate how the story ends. Like if we find out that there is, and I'm just going to say vaguely something about Faye's past that doesn't make sense. It's going to be figured out. It's going to be nullified. And one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to survive or they're not. Yeah. You know, I'm and, personally, and that's, I'm in the one survivor camp, but I'm not sure who it's going to be. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm leaning. Know. I'm leaning Felix right now, but I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. He's had a pretty bad time of it. So I could also just see them both like making it out of this scot free and just being like, oh well, you know, oh, well, that, was, that was fun. Was like, Damn, honey, no, that f- sure was a zany vacation. Oh. And then the next part, the next part is called my uh, my haunted honeymoon in in Transylvania. Why did I? Why did I honeymoon here? Part three. <laughs> Why did I marry a literal demon? <laughs> <laughs> I met I, uh, I met Faye's uncle. His name is Lord Dracul. He wants to invite <laughs> us to his castle in uh, Tasmania. It looks suspiciously the same as the cellar. It's just full of porno magazines and sticks. <laughs> and hair. <laughs> and hair. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. All right. Well, this is this is part two of, uh, I, I called it, um, to best laid plans. Oh, um, I love that. Which is to imply of mice and men. Um, <laughs> because no matter your good intention, there will always be forces outside of your, your understanding that are going to have your shit yeah that that fuck your shit up (laughs) yeah i was gonna say something like that changes your life forever but to fucks your shit up is is just more (laughs) accurate it's just more accurate so to best laid plans part two congratulations next time we're going to ruin our lives with the ending (laughs) i can't wait me neither i'm actually really excited Wait till the day's end when the moon is high and it'll rise with the tide with the lust for life out. Oh, I'm messing with me, I won't run as a whore. And then we'll look across the land until we stand at the shore. I'll wait till day's end when the moon is high and it'll rise with the tide with the lust for life out. Oh, I'm messing with me, I won't run as a whore. And then we'll look across the land until we stand at the shore.
Atlanta till we stand at the shore.